I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah. Uh. What do you do when you got nothing to talk about? Uh, the last episode I recorded just yesterday. On Sunday night. And today's Monday. Uh, I don't have anything to talk about between those two recordings. I didn't leave the house on Sunday after my daughter left to go back to her mom's, and I haven't left the house today either because of work, and it was raining outside, and Thanks to the pandemic, if you don't have anywhere to, if you don't get grocery shopping or anything, uh, what are you going to do? Nothing. Take walks, which you can't do when it's raining. None of this is interesting. I don't have anything interesting to say. Uh, I guess I talked to one human today. Uh, it was my neighbor from across the alley. Um, after work and taking a depression nap... I went out onto the deck and I sat there with my laptop and I edited a Book Boys podcast that I do with my friend Ben. And as I was editing that, uh, I realized uh, that suddenly got a text from my neighbor across the alley, who's a, an old couple, but they're a nice, sweet couple. All my neighbors are old, so they all know me because I do things like I plow their driveways and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so they said, texted, hello, neighbor. And that was it. And I thought... Yeah? Anything else? No? I wrote back, hello, neighbor. And that was the response. And that was it. Nothing back. So I looked around, and now they're pulling out of their driveway. Ah, ha, ha. And they honked their horns, so I waved at them. Then I thought to myself, eh, well, as depressing as uh, today may be, one upside is I'm a deck man. I'm a decksman. Uh, I sit on my deck, and uh, in my shorts and my bare feet, and with my computer... And I wave at my neighbors. So, that's always a thing. Uh, previous deck sessions have involved people walking uh, down the street in the front yard, and they can see me along the side of the house, uh, and they'll wave at me. And I have no idea uh, who the hell they are, and I wave back. And I think about the weird dynamic of what causes strangers to greet each other from, you know, 300 feet away or more. Uh, is it fear? Do you try to make friends with people you don't trust in this neighborhood? Is it fear? I have no idea. But I don't like the dynamic. It seems disingenuous. And so that's pretty much all I have to say. I've got nothing else. Uh, I guess the message for my intro this week is, uh, people only make friends with each other because they're scared of them. So with that, let's dive into, uh, this week's chapter of uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So, as I do with every episode, uh, I'm going to read an interesting fact 
of uh, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, uh, otherwise known as Mark Twain. Uh, did you know he was a true lover? Well, he was. He was a true gentleman uh, for remaining faithful to his wife all his life, despite the fact that he could have had any girl in his arms with the help of his witty one-liners and hearty jokes. Her name was Dolores uh, Reed, and they married in 1934. Oh, that's not right. Oh, it's because I'm reading uh, interesting facts about Bob Hope. Whoops. I was uh, caught into a little wormhole there and just started reading about Bob Hope for no reason from this crappy website. Uh, what a... Oh, here we go. This is actually uh, the real... Per- he, he was against exercising. Ah, he was never into exercising. In fact, he even used to write in his bed. And if any reporter wanted to interview him, uh, then they were directed to his bedroom. I took pride in his act and said that all his life he had been eating and resting and intends to carry on uh, with that only. So with that, uh, let's get into the story. Well, where do we leave off in the last chapter, chapter six? Uh, We met uh, Huckleberry Finn, uh, sort of a a world traveler. He uh, is disliked by all the moms in the neighborhood, but highly respected by all the children because he lives the life that uh, every child wishes they could live. He's scrapping and yelling, He's never in school. Oh, he doesn't even wear shoes until deep into fall. Uh, and you might catch him walking down the street uh, just holding a dead cat. And uh, in his pocket, eh, he'll have a tick. So, oh, and he's highly racist. Uh, within the one one little sentence that he was talking, he said the N-word multiple times. And it was highly alarming. Uh, then Tom Sawyer gets to school and he's late and he brags about hanging out with Huck Finn and it makes the teacher irate and seats him next to the girls because not only is things in this book uh, racist uh, there's uh, quite a level of sexism as well it's it's of the times and so sitting next to the girls boy that's a punishment but Tom he takes lemons and turns them into wine by hitting on a girl next to him uh, and uh, literally tells her that he loves her. So, with that, let's dive into Chapter 7. The harder Tom tried to fasten his mind on his book, uh, the more his ideas wandered. So at last, with a sigh and a yawn, he gave it up. It seemed to him that the noon recess would never come. The air was utterly dead. There was not a breath stirring. It was the sleepiest of sleepy days. The drowsing murmur of the five-and-twenty studying scholars soothed the soul like the spell that is in the murmur of bees. Away, off in the flaming uh, sunshine, Cardiff Hill lifted its soft green sides through a shimmering veil of heat, tinted with the purple of distance. A few birds floated on lazy uh, wing high in the air. No other living thing was visible uh, but for some cows... Ah, they were asleep. Tom's heart ached to be free. By the way, what we just read right there was actually very nicely written, so I have to give him credit for that. There's a reason why there's a a Mark Twain Award, because he was a good writer. Uh, Tom's uh, heart ached to be free, or else to have something of interest to do to pass the jury time. 
His hand wandered into his pocket, and his, ooh, his face lit up with a glow of gratitude. That was prayer, though he did not know it. Then furtively, uh, the percussion cap box came out. He released the tick and put him on the long, flat desk. Uh, the creature uh, probably glowed with a gratitude that amounted to a prayer, too. At this moment, it was uh, premature, for when he started, thankfully, to travel off, Tom turned him aside with a pin and made him take a new direction. Tom's bosom friend sat next to him. Oh, he's moved at this point. Suffering, just as Tom had been, and now he was deeply and gratefully interested in the entertainment uh, in an instant. This bosom friend was Joe Harper. Ah, the two boys were sworn friends all the week and embattled enemies on Saturdays. Joe took a pin out of his lapel and began to assist in exercise of the prisoner. The sport grew in interest momentarily. Uh, soon Tom said that they were interfering with each other and neither getting the fullest benefit of the tick. So he put Joe's slate on the desk and drew a line down the middle of it from top to bottom. Now, he said, as long as he is on your side, uh, you can stir him up and I'll let him alone. But if you let him get away and get on my side, uh, you're to leave him alone as long as I can keep him from crossing over. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Start him up. Uh, the tick escaped from Tom presently and crossed the equator. Joe harassed him a while, and then he got away and crossed back again. This change of base occurred often. While one boy was worrying the tick with absorbing interest, the other would look on with interest as strong. The two heads bowed together over the slate, the two souls dead to all things else. At last, luck seemed to settle and abide with Joe. The tick tried this and that and the other cores, and... They got as excited as the anxious boys themselves, but time and time again, as he would have victory in his very grasp, so to speak, and Tom's fingers would be twitching to begin. Joe's pin would definitely head him off and keep possession. Ah, at last Tom could stand it no longer. The temptation was too strong. So he reached out and lent a hand with his pin. Oh, Joe was angry in a moment. Said he, Yeah, Tom, you let him alone. I only just wanted to stir him up a little bit, Joe. No, sir, it ain't fair. You just let him alone. I blame it. I ain't going to stir him much. You let him alone, I tell you. I won't. You shall. He's on my side of the line. Ah, look here, Joe Harper. Who is that? Uh, whose is that tick? I don't care whose tick he is. He's on my side of the line, and you shan't touch him. Well, I'll just bet I will, though. He's my tick. And I'll do what I blame, <laughs> what I blame, please, with him or die. A tremendous whack came down on Tom's shoulders, and its duplicate on Joe's. For the space of two minutes, the dust continued to fly from the two jackets and the whole school to enjoy it. The boys had been too absorbed uh, to notice the hush that had stolen upon the school. While before the master came tiptoeing down the room and stood over him. He had contemplated a good part of the performance before he contributed his bit of variety to it. When school broke up at noon, that Tom flew to Becky Thatcher and whispered in her ear, Oh, put on your bonnet and let on you're going home. And when you get to the, to the corner, give the rest of them a slip and turn down through the lane and come back. And I'll go the other way and come it over them the same way. So... The one went off with a group of scholars, the other with another. In a little while, the two met at the bottom of the lane, and they reached the school. They had, had it all to themselves. 
Then they sat together with the slate before them, and Tom gave Becky the pencil and held her hand in his, guiding it. Oh, kind of like one of those sexy uh, uh, golf instructors teaching you how to swing. And so created another surprising house. When, in the interest in art began to wane, the two fell to talking. Tom was swimming in bliss. He said, uh, uh, Do you love rats? Oh, now I hate them. Oh, I, I do too. Uh, live ones. But I mean dead ones. Oh, to swing around your head with a string. Uh, no, I don't care for rats much anyway. What I like uh, is chewing gum. Oh, I should say so. I wish I had some now. Do you? I've got some. I'll let you chew it a while, but you must give it back to me. Oh, gross. Even before the pandemic, that's just disgusting. That was agreeable. So they chewed it, turned about, and dangled their legs against the bench in excess of contentment. Uh, Was he ever uh, at a circus? Said Tom. Yes, and my pa's going to take me again sometime, if I'm good. I've been to the circus uh, three or four times, uh, lots of times. Uh, Church ate shucks to a circus. There's things going on at a circus all the time. I'm going to be a clown in a circus when I grow up. Oh, are you? That'll be nice. It's so lovely. I'll spot it up. Oh, yes, that's so. And they get slathers of money, Uh, most a dollar a day. Ben Rogers says, say, Becky, uh, was he ever engaged? Oh, what's that? Why engaged? Uh, To be married? Yeah, no. Uh, Would you like to? I reckon so. I don't know. Uh, What is it like? Like? Why, it ain't like anything. You only just tell a boy you won't ever have anybody but him. Ever, 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 in italics. And then you'll kiss, and and that's all. Anybody can do it. Kiss? What do you kiss for? Why, that, you know, is a... Well, they always do that. Uh, Everybody? Why, yes, everybody that's in love with one another. Do you remember what I wrote on the slate? Yes. What was it? I shan't tell you. Shall I tell you? Yes, but some other time. No, now. No, not now. Uh, Tomorrow. Oh, no. No, now. Becky, please. I'll whisper it. I'll whisper it ever so easy. Oh, God. (laughs) Becky, hesitating, Tom took silence for consent and passed his arm about her waist and whispered the tale ever so softly with his mouth close to her ear. And then he added, Now you whisper to me just the same. Uh, she resisted for a while and then said, oh, You turn your face away so you, you can't see, and then I will. But you mustn't ever tell anybody, will you, Tom? No, you won't, will you? No, indeed, indeed I won't. Now, Becky. He turned his face away as she bent timidly around till her breath stirred his curls and whispered, I love you. Then she sprang away and ran round and round the desks and benches with Tom after her. <laughs> and took refuge in a corner at last with her little white apron to her face. Uh, Tom clasped her about her neck ooh, and pleaded. <laughs> Whoa, that got dark real fast. Now, Becky, it's all done. All over but the kiss. Don't you be afraid of that. Uh, it ain't anything at all. Uh, please, Becky. And he tugged at her apron from her hands. By and by, she gave up. Oh, Jesus, it's starting to sound kind of uh, sexually aggressive. 
and let her hands drop, her face, all glowing with the struggle, came up and submitted. Tom kissed the red lips and said, Now it's done, Becky, and always after this, you know you ain't ever to love anyone but me, and you ain't ever to marry anybody, oh, but me, never, never, and forever, uh, will you? No, I'll never love anybody but you, Tom, but I'll never marry anybody but you, and you ain't ever to marry anybody uh, but me, either. Certainly, oh, of course, that's part of it. And always coming to school, or when we're going home, you were to walk with me. And when there ain't anybody looking, and you choose me, and I choose you at parties, because that's the way uh, you do when you're engaged. That's so nice, I never heard of it before. Oh, it's ever so gay. Why, me and Amy Lawrence. Oh, the big eyes told Tom his blunder, and he stopped confused. Oh, Tom, that I ain't the first you've ever been engaged to? The child began to cry. Tom said, I don't cry, Becky. I don't care for her anymore. Yes, you do, Tom. You know you do. Tom tried to put his arm about her neck. Why the neck? But she pushed him away and turned her face to the wall and went on crying. Tom tried again with soothing words in his mouth and was repulsed again. Then his pride was up and he strode away and went outside. He stood about restless and uneasy for a while, glancing at the door, every now and then hoping that she would repent and then come find him. She did not. Then he began to feel badly and fear that he was in the wrong. It was a hard struggle with him to make uh, new advances now, but he nerved himself to it and entered. She was still standing back there in the corner, sobbing, with her face to the wall. Tom's heart smote him. Ah, he went to her and stood a moment, not knowing exactly how to proceed. Then he said hesitatingly, Becky, I don't care for anybody but you. No reply but sobs. Becky, pleadingly, Becky, won't you say something? More sobs. Tom got out his chiefest jewel, a brass knob from the top of an andron. And iron. Well, let's look that one up. Uh, Andarin is how you pronounce it. A metal support, typically uh, one of a pair that holds wood burning in a fireplace. Well, that was dumb. And passed it around to her so that she could see it. And said, please, Becky, uh, won't you take it? She struck it to the floor. Then Tom marched out of the house and over the hills and far away to return to school no more that day. Presently, Becky began to suspect. She ran to the door. He was not in sight. She flew around the play yard, and he was not there. Then she called, Tom, come back, Tom. She listened intently, but there was no answer. She had no companions but silence and loneliness. So she sat down to cry again and upbraid herself. And by this time, the scholars began to gather again, and she had to hide her griefs, and still her broken heart, and take up the cross of a long, dreary, aching afternoon, with none among the strangers about her to exchange sorrows with.
Another short and punchy chapter from Mark Twain. Uh, it's not as satisfying as it was the first six chapters I read, where I just appreciated how short and punchy the chapters were. Uh, when I look on my Kindle that I'm reading from, uh, I'm only 26% of the way through the book, which seems kind of ridiculous. The summer doesn't last that long. So I'm starting to think maybe i got to read uh, two chapters at a time. Or start churning out more episodes per week with less and less to say in the beginning. I don't know. It's, uh, well, it's a lot like alcoholism. Ah, uh, first beer. Oh, it's good. Oh, you get a, a little buzz. You feel all warm and happy and tingly. And you think, ah, this is fantastic. I'm good with this. But the next time you do it, you don't get the same good feeling from it. And you're like, well, the answer to that is more. So you drink more. And you don't really get the same thing. It's, it's close enough. And then as time goes on, you're just drinking tons and tons to fill this gaping hole. It's called, with heroin addicts, Chasing the Dragon. And Mark Twain has me chasing the dragon. Well, what do we learn from this chapter? Uh, we learn that uh, love is fickle. As I know from my own experience of constantly failing in every relationship I'm in, that uh, love, oh, is so fickle. I don't have a, a doorknob to give to women to get them to continue liking me. Uh, I don't even have a tick. But I can try and get them to get engaged with me and trick them into it. But in either case, uh, Tom screws up and hurts her feelings because he's been engaged before. But now, uh, as he left, made a dramatic show of leaving, and never coming back to class, ah, his new woman is upset and has to hide her feelings from her friends. Uh, I've never tried that, I don't think. I don't think I've ever just said, uh, sucks to you, and stormed off and had it work out for me, if I ever did try it. Uh, there's a lot to learn from this book as far as being a 46-year-old man trying to meet women, and I think I'm going to take it to heart. And I'm going to hit that mall, hang out in the mall, and try to tell women that I love them and draw pictures for them. Uh, you know, for me, it's usually I just draw pictures of ghosts. That's all I ever draw. And then, uh, do you want to learn how to draw a ghost? And then, uh, then whisper, I love you. And, um, and then if uh, things don't go well, I leave them all. I run out and then don't come back and see if it breaks their heart. How do I tie this in with what I said in the beginning? Uh, I can't, except for maybe just a general sense of loneliness from not talking to human beings for days in a row. Well, this has been one of the more depressing episodes I've ever done. I've had a previous depressing one. Uh, this one ranks up there. So with that, uh, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>